You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 2, once again. Lord willing, we're going to finish this chapter today, and then we'll be on oh, a bit of a break, heading into the Gospels for next week for Easter, but we want to continue to think on this. So if you turn to Romans chapter 2, we're going to be in verse, verses 17 through 29. I'm going to start in verse 12 to kind of bring us back to where we were a little bit last week. Uh, we have a picture here from Annika. Annika Collins is here, right? And this is a picture of her dad. So she just had to turn and look to Dr. Jeff. And if you don't know Jeff, that's what he looks like. <laughs> so, anyway, we were talking about the, the shoots and the alleyways of what Paul is doing with Romans and just closing off exit gates to say, there is no righteousness on your own. There is no way. There is no way to work for this. There is no law great enough for you to get. Everything is closed off um, funneling towards this great problem of man, which is really, as I was listening this week to D.A. Carson, a problem with, with God. Not that God is the problem, but to a sinful man, there's a problem, and he's getting to that, and then we're going we're gonna to see, and we already looked at in communion last week, just the, the great and grand and gracious solution of the Lord. So thank you, Annika, for drawing that. By now you're in Romans 2, hopefully. Let's start at verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, know His will and approve what's excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. 
For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let's pray again. Lord, we just come to you as we come to this word, and I pray that you would use your true word to impact our hearts once again. Lord, would you give us understanding through this section to to work through it in the verses and and how how Paul is writing this and how he's arguing and to understand the, the things going on here. Lord, I just pray for clarity preacher today and the the preaching of your word pray for application in our hearts and lord through even this word we know palm sunday technically the name is not mentioned in this and yet lord we we see through this our great need for you to come and reign and to come to jerusalem to die and be raised to life without that lord our faith is in in vain Without what we celebrate this week, our faith is futile. So Lord, draw us in our faith. Draw what you do by your Spirit. Draw our hearts to you once again in your Word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it's going to be no surprise here. Once again, we've got Paul hammering away, maybe whittling away. We did that hammer weeks ago. Just hammering away at any foundation of man in himself to have this right standing with God. And the question really, I think here, one of the questions coming out, I, you, could, you could infer here, is who, just who is the true Jew? Who is truly Jewish? What, what really defines a Jew? And in asking, we might correlate, as we'll see later on, we might correlate what, in essence, defines a Christian then. You call yourself a Christian. So I hope through our study we're drawn closer again to the Savior who, who we celebrate, we, we observe today. He entered Jerusalem on that donkey. We want to draw close to Him. So we look back into His Word, in particular verses 17 through 20. We're going to find a, a list. There's actually lists going on here, extensive lists. I think you could call them perks, maybe if you will, of being a Jew. These are things of the Jewish, the person. These are things that come along with being that. Certainly, there's a comparison here, as we read, to the Gentiles. We looked at last week who had no law. That was verses 14 through 16. The Jews had much. They had the law. And so Paul's setting up kind of this this privileged status of them only then to, to drop the hammer in a way, to penetrate and indict and indict them in verse uh, 21 and then following, as we've already read. Uh, Calvin comments, he says it this way. He says of Paul, having now completed what he meant to say of the Gentiles, that's what we looked at last week, he returns to the Jews, and that he might, with greater force, beat down their great vanity. He allows them all those privileges by which they were beyond measure transported and inflated, And then he shows how insufficient they were for the attainment of true glory. Read that. So he shows the privileges and then how insufficient they were for the attainment of true glory. 
depending on how you count these, and there could be maybe different ways of counting these, these perks, what, whatever, maybe that's not the best name for it, but these, of the, the Jewish person, these privileges, I, I count five. So we're going to go through these five as we go through va- really 17 through 20. So let's start in verse 17. I won't read it again. We'll just take chunks of it. Number one, what are these five, these categories of the Jewish, what's, what's the perk? First of all, if you call yourself a Jew, they the call themselves a Jew. That's the first part. It's their, it's their name. You've got that name, a name which Doug Moo says by Paul's day had become a common designation of anyone who belonged to the people of Israel. They have that name. You are a, a Jew. And so being called a Jew brought with it other privileges, and one of the most important privileges is that they had the, the law. And God had given His law to them. That's, that's number two. So they call themselves a Jew, they get the, it's the name, to they rely on the law, this law. We might ask here, could be a difficult question, how, just how, how is this? How did the Jew rely on the, on the law? It says you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law. How do we understand this? Maybe it's helpful we get an idea of this. You don't need to go there. You can write it down. Micah chapter 3, it speaks. I think Paul might be alluding to this here. Micah chapter 3, it speaks of these crooked and sinful leaders of Israel. So think of the leader of Israel. They're crooked. They're sinful. God indicts them for their sin. But then the text says of these, these, crook, these sinners, he says, yet they, these, these leaders of Israel, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. See what they're doing here? I think you could, you could infer here there's a dependence they relied upon that they, maybe in a simplest way, they simply possessed the law. They had the law, which, which you could say is in effect they had God. God's with us. I, sin, I don't, it doesn't, we have the law. We possess this. Again, Doug who writes this says the Jews thought their reliance on the law would exempt them from judgment. We've been talking about judgment, haven't we? Wrath and fury and distress and tribulation. Maybe simply even just the relying on we just have the law and then there's the doing of the law. It's, it's like a salvation of sorts for them. They rely on the law. And then thirdly, number three in that line, verse 17, they boast in God. We might tend to look at you know, boasting as, as necessarily a bad thing, but Jeremiah 9.24 says this, and it was brought out from one commentary. It says this, but let him who boasts, boast in this. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. What's the boast? If you're going to boast, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. So what's the boast? That he understands and knows the Lord, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so the Jew boasted in, in God. We have God. Yes, I, there's a boast that we understand and know God. The question might be, what kind of knowing is this here? Is, is this knowing and then obeying and following this God doing? Or is this just, yeah, we know about God. We have the law. We, we possess this. We have, we'll just look at who we are. That idea. Category number four, perk number four, privilege. I think it encompasses verse 18. 
So here's another one. Number four, and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. So they, they know his will, they approve what's excellent. Why? Because you are instructed from the law. From, from youth to adult, the instruction of the law, that's just part of Jewish life, especially in the synagogue. So to the Jew, unlike now, catch the contrast, unlike the Gentile who doesn't, Gentile who doesn't possess a, a written word or commandment, it's on the heart, but this, this written word from God, written law, here's the Jewish people. They're instructed in the law. There's instruction going on. And so this makes them know. They know the will. They can approve what's actually. They know what God wants. And then number five, privilege, number five, 19 through 20. And maybe some of these I'm just kind of putting together, but 19 and 20 goes like this. And if you are sure that you yourself are a, and they're kind of a bunch put together, you're a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children. I think here's the, here's the, the, the conclusion, the summary. Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. This is Paul's last category of building up this embodiment of knowledge and truth. And it's really building up what he's going to soon, very soon, as you saw already, is tear down. Is this is, I think, the way the Jews saw themselves in the world. They, they had the law, and so thus they are a guide to the blind. Though, if you're in dark, they're going to they're help out. They, they're a guide to those foolish, a guide to children. They've got the truth, the law, the knowledge that others could use. That's not necessarily wrong. God's commands to them in the law. We can read them today and we gain from them because this is who God is. They're revealing Himself to the world, but Paul's going to confront them, this idea that, that merely possessing the law, if you look back at verse 13, that's the idea there, I think, for it's not the hearers of the law, not just hearing the instruction, not just possessing the law, that will not do when it comes to honoring God and being free from any judgment, any righteous judgment. So Paul uses this verses 17 through 20 to say, I think what the Jew himself would say, what, what he, would, he or she would take pride in. But then, you know, out from under comes the hammer. And Paul's going to say, okay, here you are. And he begins a series just, of, it's just asking questions over and over. We've kind of seen these already even at the, the, the beginning of the chapter as well, the same kind of theme idea. And these questions come up as the hammer comes down. Look at verses 21 through 22. You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? There's this instruction. you got the embodiment of knowledge and truth. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? Verse 22, you who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And then it says, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Series of questions here that just drills down to the heart just like the beginning of the chapter, you, you who say don't, you know, fill in the blank. You say don't do this. The question is, do you? You know, are you the same? You say it, don't, or do the, are you, are you, authentic, are you the same? Do you have integrity? 
So the focus now, it's no longer on the Jews, their special status, but the focus is on the Jew as one who obeys, or in this case, case disobeys, or breaks the law, breaks what God commands. Now most, most of these questions of Paul make sense. We understand stealing. We understand uh, you know, teaching others. Do you teach yourself? Uh, adultery. This last one, a little harder to understand. You who abhor idols, do you rob temple temples? Now, what does that what does that mean? I I guess we could say simply, I'm not sure. Here's an idea. Here's a couple ideas. There's more than one way to think on this phrase. This is interesting. I think this has merit. The phrase, "Do you rob temples?" Um, oh yeah, this is. That whole phrase, if you have that in the ESV, do you rob temples, it's just one word in Greek. So you're kind of just trying to make, you know, what does all this mean in one word? So it makes it difficult. Perhaps it means exactly that. They actually robbed temples. You think of where this is being written to, Rome. The temples around Rome. And so quite possibly they actually robbed them or maybe took the, the foreign deities, the false gods, the idols, and perhaps they sold them. As long as they didn't worship them, it's okay. We're just, we're just taking them and passing them on. Or, or there could be you know, things with that often and, and other ideas with that. So maybe this, this physical idea of actually robbing temples, robbing these idols and saying, it's okay as long as we're not you know, worshiping them. Perhaps, though, there is something more, more spiritual here. Somewhere along the lines of robbing God. Robbing him of what? Of, I mean, we, we could quite clearly say here, robbing him of honor. That's in the next verse. To rob a temple. So, and maybe somehow in this robbing God of worship and honor, they're okay or they tolerate idolatry. Maybe you could go to the heart, idolatry in the heart. Hard to be sure then. You can, you can work through that and try to, try to understand that more. But what's, what's Paul's main thrust? And I, and I appreciate when, when it comes back to what's the main idea? What's he getting at? And I think, think we see that here in, as we get into verses 23, into 24, and then 25 will kind of trail on that and then bring us into the next section here as we look at that briefly. So look at verse 23. What's Paul about? What, do you, what is all this? What's the aim here? And verse 23 says, You who boast in the law dishonor uh, God by breaking the law. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Instead of patting the Jew on the back, you know, you've got the law, Paul brings this accusation to bear. You are breaking this very law. You're dishonoring God. And these are the ones, again, the second part of verse 12, as we looked at kind of last week and said this kind of forms an outline of the, the two sections here. Verse 12, the beginning, you have sinned without the law, will also perish without the law, thinking, I think, more Gentiles. And then all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So again, it doesn't matter if you have the law. What matters is if you obey the law. Paul explains further, then he comes back to Scripture in verse 24. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now the quote here goes back most likely, we won't go there, but to Isaiah 52.5. You can look that up. It 
to me, it's, it's a bit of a tricky passage, um, but I, I think it's, it's understandable. Or possibly Ezekiel 36 that this is going back to. The idea here seems to be, instead of Israel, catch the contrast. And that's helpful here. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Instead of Israel being this, as Paul calls them, a blind, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness. That's the idea. What, what are they now? No, they're, they're guiding their light. They are dark in sin. They are breaking the law. They were exiled even for it. God's people here do not obey their God. They do not honor Him. They dishonor Him. And thus, they dishonor and blaspheme His name. His name is who He is. And so they dishonor Him. And, and how? They dishonor him even among those whom they are to be a light to. Just a quick note of application here. Again, like, like we asked, what about the name Christian? That's not a one-to-one Jew, Christian. Um, in some, some ways, we, what we're thinking about this morning. Think about that. Think about just the name. Do you bear that name? Somebody says, you know, what are you? I'm a Christian. What, is that, what does that mean? Do your actions, again, this is, this is the heart work, do your actions, both in public and in secret, do they match what we just sang about this morning? Do we, this king, oh, worship the king. Does my life, do I say I'm a Christian, my life reflects this worship of the king? Or am I in the same boat and I dishonor God and people say he's a Christian and what? And they look and instead of being a light, let your light shine before men. And see, instead of being that light, we proclaim darkness and in fact dishonor the very God who has called us out of darkness into light. Verse 25 then, at least in the ESV, it starts a new paragraph. But it ties in, it ties in 23 and 24 and then to what follows and takes us really into the close of the chapter here. Let's look at verse 25. For circumcision, now we're going to talk about circumcision for a while. Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now, this is, I mean, if you think this is the quintessential mark of a Jew, of an Israel Israelite, their Jewishness, this is circumcision. It's that that outward sign, God's covenant with going back to Abraham and God's uniquely called out people. It's not the last place we'll see it. It's going to come up again uh, chapter uh, 4. I think even in chapter 3, possibly, I can't remember, but at least chapter 4 again, it comes up as we see this. What's Paul's point here? It's that the value of circumcision, its value shows up only if it's a, truly a sign of one who practices the law. But if you break the law, in same idea, even same kind of wording, it's not the exact same Greek word, but it's in this, I, I, I would say, in a kind of a word group here, same idea of breaking the law, well, then you might as well not be circumcised. And so I would take the implication here of verse 25 your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. You're calling yourself a Jew, you cannot call yourself that. Can you imagine Paul? This accusation coming to one who calls himself a Jew, relies on the law, boasts in God. And Paul just said, that's not you. 
you're not what you think you are. You thought you got all the right boxes. They're all checked off. They're all, we're good. No matter what, we're good. Paul takes a hammer to this identity. And so verse 26 follows, and then it will stay on this theme. Look at 26 and 27. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. And you can hear kind of Paul's back and forth, the argument going on. He's just breaking down this this foundation of the Jews, their claim to mere Jewishness or having the law being those who indeed they break the law. And here, a Gentile, I would propose, who keeps the law is seen as circumcised. There's a flipping. And not only, I mean, this naturally uncircumcised one would be counted like a, like a Jew. And in reverse, we'll do what? We'll judge the Jew who has this written code and circumcision but has broken the law. Now, what's going on here, I don't think we're supposed to take what Paul is saying here and build a theology of Gentile and Jewish just of circumcision. So, we, you know, just make sure you're th- circumcised. Let's pray. You know, uh, I don't think that's, that's that idea here. Paul's, Paul's making an argument, the masterful arguer that he is. And he's making an argument by God's Spirit just to crush the hopes of the one who, to quote, you know, their, one of their privileges, they have the embodiment of knowledge. They know God's will, and Paul is just crushing that. None of these works. They're, they're, they're thus, what are they? They're condemned. They too will face this, as we looked about uh, in the earlier part of chapter 2, this wrath, the fury, the tribulation, the distress of God. So title and heritage will not justify. Name alone will not do. Just the identity part. And so Paul makes this summary statement then in the last two verses. Who's a Jew? Who, who is this? Verse 28, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Well, they're just cutting through. And now verse 29, But a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. How? By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You see what Paul is getting at here? What, who's the true Jew? Who's the true circumcised one? And it says nothing to do with the outward physical signs. It deals with the heart. Doug Moo writes this, quote, The basic contrast in these verses, and I think you see it as you look at these verses, is an inner-outer contrast. You hear them? The outer, the inner, the outer, the inner. It's a contrast between what can be seen with the eye Maybe physical circumcision, Jewish birth, and what only God ultimately sees. That's the changed heart, true Jewishness. In fact, what does this show? Simply having the letter, i.e. the law, the written code here. We saw in verse 27. Simply having that will not overcome the darkness of a sinful uh, heart. Rather than 
than it being just this written code. It's a heart. It's a change on the heart. It's by how? By the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.6 puts it this way, at least in part. Paul writes there, the letter kills. I think the idea there, the letter, when the law came, you know, spring to life, Paul would say, and I died. I saw the law and I said, I am all those things. Worship God alone. I haven't done that. All those things. It says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Or remember Jesus who speaks to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, this need to be born again. And he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Wasn't it about having all the law and being privileged and called and outward circumcision, all this? No, it's by, how how are you in the kingdom? You're born of water and the Spirit. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so here in the midst of this hammer work and Paul's breaking down foundations, here is the gospel. Paul inserts God's gospel, at least a portion of it, right here. In some ways we say, a breath of fresh air going on. And then he's going to get back, you know, and, and, and lead towards that. Um, one, one writer calls it an advance sounding of the message of salvation. It's just kind of there. It's, it's cir- hey, circumcision, it's in the heart, it's by the Spirit. And where is the praise of this one? It is not from man. His praise is not from man. I wonder if Paul's thinking here of those that might praise the Jewish person and say, oh, oh wow, you got, man, God actually gave you His law. He talked to you. and the, Boy, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I think maybe that's, maybe what's, that's what Paul has in mind. But it's, it's not. We see it's not the praise of men that matters at all. What matters is that this man is praised of God. And how so? What God brings about in the heart of man, He brings it about by His Spirit, making this one alive in Christ, this new birth to see sin and the Savior, and thus a new creation. And thus one who will not dishonor God, but who's a new creation. And all this is to the glory of God for what He does in the heart by the Spirit. Question for us as we bring this to a close. What about us? We already mentioned, I don't know, all of you, maybe some of you who have a Jewish background, we're not necessarily called Jews, so what do we do with this here? Steve Lawson, uh, he writes this. Similarities. He's looking at similarities. The similarities between the Jew and those who live in America are quite clear. If you can catch some of the application out of this. The Jew grew up in a privileged nation in which there was an abundant exposure to the Word of God and some degree of external morality. This is very similar to living in America with its great opportunity to hear the Word of God. People grow up hearing about God, morality, and righteousness, though many never hear the true gospel in America. The question for us is, are we in danger of thinking in the same ways here as the Jews were thinking? To rely on the fact you come from a Christian family, you're okay. As long as your parents were Christian and you got that heritage, 
check the box. Or you go to church. And I know we, we talk about that maybe, maybe too often. But just coming here. Well, yeah, of course I'm, I know, I mean, I'm okay with God. I, I come, don't I? Is that it? Maybe you, maybe you like me, you own a big Bible. Not one of those thin ones, but you've got a big one. It's kind of just a little extra, right? It's not the size of our Bible. It's not even what we have written in our Bible. Our, our notes. How studious we've been. Oh, that we would be students of God's Word. It's not what my hands have done is how the old hymn would go. It's what God has done in the heart. What's on the inside? What's on the heart? Here on this Palm Sunday, what about this one who came into Jerusalem? We sang about it, Hosanna. Hosanna, save us, that idea of Hosanna. Save us, O Lord. The nation of Israel looked upon Jesus, this son of David. Here's the Messiah that's coming to save them. But just what is it that Jesus came to save them from? Was it the yoke of the Romans in Jerusalem? Or maybe to elevate the nation? Here's a king who will finally, will finally get rid of our, our earthly, our physical enemies. Jesus had a greater mission. Because he who came on the Sunday came to the cross by Friday afternoon. And so what kind of Messiah would this one be who came for sinners that they might be changed? I want to look lastly at uh, Titus. There's another place we could go. We're just going to go to Titus chapter 3. If you would just turn there, I think by way of kind of just pulling this all in, Titus 3 just gives us a kind of a lasting shot at the heart and what God is doing by His Spirit in the heart according to His grace that we might come to Him. Look up Titus. I'll start in chapter 3. This is kind of Paul's concluding his exhortations. A book that is talking about, you know, your, your faith ought to show forth fruits of obedience. Good works ought to flow out of that faith. They're not the merit of the faith, but they flow out of it. Paul writes to Titus on the island of Crete, and he says this, verse 3, I'll just start verse 3 through, through verse 7. Look at Paul, what he says, for we, in the, 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 the personal here, first person personal, for we ourselves, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when... When? When they got it all together, when they finally got their act together? No. Verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Here's this heart rent, heart wrought circumcision by the Spirit, the regenerating, the making alive of what was dead. Verse 6, whom He poured out on us richly. How? Not separated, but through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified, 
declared righteous by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is God's mercy to sinners. This is the regenerating work of His Spirit justified in Christ by His grace to God be the glory. And this week, may God's Spirit work on our hearts to lead us once again to our great need to say it's not my identity, it's not what I do, it's what He has done for sinners to look to Him by faith. Let's pray. Father, I'm going to just pray for each one of us. Perhaps, and we say this maybe tongue-in-cheek, a dangerous prayer. Lord, would you drill down into the believers gathered here this morning, including me, would you drill down the heart work that only you must do? Would you show us again, refresh us again this week of our great need for Jesus, the great solution, the great rebirth by the Spirit to have eyes open to see our need and our lostness and to look to Jesus. Lord, I pray that this week would, there's celebration, there's, we, there's Easter bunnies, there's good chocolate. Oh, Father, may that not satisfy. May we look to you. Lord, may we thirst after you. May we hunger for you this week so that by Friday and by Saturday and into Sunday, we have reason to celebrate, not because we've made it and we've done something and we're privileged and we've got through the week and we just we did it on our own and we've just got this, this big Bible and we've got things about us. No, it's, out of, it's because of Christ. It's for your glory. And we're going to sing, Lord, that you would be lifted high in our lives and I pray that for us would you be exalted in our lives. And may we see sin for what it is and our Savior, Jesus Christ, for who He is and what He has done, taking the curse upon Himself. We pray you give us this wisdom, this insight, this conviction of hearts this week. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.